Hello, Cougar fans. Happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you for tuning into the Holy City Hoops podcast. Another week, another guest, another game to discuss. Today on the show, the doctor, Dr. Martin Trojanowski, College of Charleston alum. He has been on the show before, and you probably know him if you frequent the always entertaining CFC fans message board. Generally, he's one of the cooler heads on there, but we will put that to the test today. We are going to recap Friday's game against Western Carolina, what ails the Cougars, but also the positives we took from that game, including, of course, Dontavious King, building on his case for CAA Rookie of the Year. Congrats on the double-double, young fella. That will be the majority of our conversation today, but we will also look ahead to life without Brevin Galloway. So on last week's pod, we talked about it a little bit, but we did not have the exact diagnosis yet. In case you missed it, torn ACL for Brev. His season is over. Martin has seen his fair share of those injuries, so he will talk a little bit about Brevin's recovery and and what that will entail. But mostly we talk about what this means for the Cougars. Uh, There's a big opportunity there for guys to step up, for the young guys to learn on the fly. We're going to talk about that. Quick bit of housekeeping. We will be off for the holidays, but the pod will be back when the Cougars kick off conference play right on the other side of New Year's. Stay tuned for that. We'll keep you updated on social media. If you need to listen to something to keep you busy, just uh, listen to this episode again. It's a good one. Let's get into it. All right, Cougar fans, we are now joined by Martin Trojanowski, a.k.a. The Doctor. He's going to diagnose what's going on with the Cougars. Martin, we've got a game to talk about and and an injury to talk about, but how are you? Uh, I'm doing fine, staying warm, staying safe up here in chilly Boston. Are you staying optimistic about the Cougars? Uh, depends on what your goals are. You know, sometimes people call me, think I'm a real, an optimist. I, I like to think of myself as a realist. My, I don't have very high hopes, but hopefully it means better things for the future. Well, I mean, there are some silver linings. I mean, we got to talk about Dontavious King and his game against Western and maybe some of the young guys are showing some things, but let's, let's talk about this game because I mean, I guess it, right off the bat, there's a positive that this game was not a blowout. The Cougars didn't lose by 18 or, or whatever they've been averaging their losses by. But uh, overtime victory for Western Carolina, overall impressions of the Cougars in this game. Yeah. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, <laughs> they take silver linings and not getting blown out by by Western Carolina. SoCon um, teams. Yeah. But uh, positives. I mean, I think I think anyone who, uh, from an amateur to to anyone who looks at Don Tavius King's game can tell you that kid's got a future. Um, it's hard not to compare him to Jarrell Brantley when he was young, who also basically hit the ground running and was immediately effective. Mm-hmm. Um, if you compare Don Tavius's, I like to use win shares, like advanced metrics, it's only been four games, but if you compare those advanced metrics, they compare very favorably to guys like Jarrell. Yeah, I've said this before. The guys who are all rookie selections tend to be the best players in the league for the next two, three years. So it's always good to find a gem like like King. So I'm excited for him. He has his first career double-double in this game. I mean, I was going to save this question for later, but do you think he's the best player on the team this year right now? Um, that's a loaded question. I mean, we'll see how he goes. I mean, he's got flaws. He still makes mistakes. He can kind of like Jarrell early on in his career. He also can get a little bit, things can get in his head a little bit. He, he lost his composure, I thought, towards the end and got a little wild. And unfortunately, he fouled out and we didn't have him when yeah. we really needed him. 
I mean, but you could definitely make a, he's certainly got the best upside of anyone in, on the team, but uh, yeah, he's up there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the big question going into this game was who's going to step up for Brevin Galloway. And I don't know if we got a clear answer. I mean, Lorenzo Edwards, is he the one who stepped up in this game? I mean, he had, he had a breakout game of his own. He finally started nailing some threes. He had nine points. Um, Zepp Jasper and Peyton Willis both took more shots, but they were no more efficient. Maybe they were even less efficient. Do you have a sense of, of where Galloway's production is going to come from or, or is it still to be determined? Yeah, it's going to be a loss. Um, I, I think before the Western game, I thought maybe, uh, you know, Zepp or Peyton could, or we're going to step up and really shoulder the load and, I think after the Western, granted, it's only one game, but I think after the Western game, I realized that that was probably a little bit optimistic um, just because, you know, Zepp has always fashioned himself as a defense first ball handler that mm-hmm. you know, has grown a decent mid-range shot and, and uh, or a three-point shot. But what he's never really been is kind of a floor general that can – run your offense, you know, drive to the pin. He's trying, but it's clearly not his nature. And the thing I noticed about the game on Friday night was that Peyton Willis is like exactly the same as them. They're, they're both shoot first guys. Neither of them like to drive the paint. And uh, Peyton definitely is deferring to Zepp on a lot of things in the offense. And maybe that's by design. And it, it actually made me go and look back at Peyton's box scores Peyton shot 16 free throws all season last year in Minnesota. Wow. That's like a game for Grant Miller. So if we thought he was going to replace Grant Miller, we were wrong. It's just he's a tip, completely different type of player. And he tends to lose his guys a little bit, at least early on. You know, I felt he lost his man on transition, and they got some three-point opportunities for Western. So he's not quite the defender we need him to be. Uh, but he, So he's going to have to grow uh, for us to get better, as is Zep. Yeah, that's a that's a good stat. I feel like I don't know where Peyton Willis is already on free throws. I'm sure he's already got a half dozen on this season or something. But um, yeah, so I had written before the game the most likely guys to take that step up and increase their production were Epps, who started, uh, Tucker, who seems like the best you know positional fit for for Galloway's spot, and then Cam Copeland, and all those guys were basically invisible in the first half. Tucker got it going in the second. He finished with seven points, which is more than I expected to see from him um, when the game ended. But it, it might just be the case where this team is just not going to have the offensive ceiling that they had. And it's not like that production missing from Galloway is going to come up from other guys. It seems like everyone's kind of is what everyone is who they are. And, and that's kind of that. But it is only one game. I mean, I will say if there's, I mean, after this game, if there's going to be a guy that's going to step up and take a, a larger role, it's actually Tucker. Not because, you know, he's, uh, you know, an extremely talented player, which he's talented, but he's the only guy that can do what he does on the team. There's no one else that can drive, that can beat someone one-on-one and get to the basket and yeah. either force you to get fouling or he'll put a shot up. And neither Zepp nor Peyton do that very willingly. And as a result, I think you're gonna what you're gonna see is a lot more Brendan Tucker on the court uh, than than before. And if you notice in the game on Friday, 
crunch time, I mean, Earl, which does what Earl likes to do, which is basically lock down one iron lineup. And he rode the last 10 minutes of that game with uh, Brendan Tucker, Zepp, Peyton, Osinachi Smart, and Dontavious King until he fouled Yeah, out. Yeah, those guys all played pretty big minutes in that game. Speaking of getting to the line and, or getting to the rim and getting to the line, the free throw disparity in this. Not only was Charleston doubled up in that department, but they were doubled up on 17 attempts. Uh, so Western Carolina goes to the line 35 times. And we should talk a little bit about the opponent here. I mean, Western Carolina came in having already played a couple overtime games, had a decent, had a good record, but hadn't really played anybody. And they were known as kind of offensive focused and weak on the defensive side, but they got to the line. They were not, they gave Charleston plenty of opportunities to get back into this game uh, by missing at the line. They had some bad turnovers, but it always felt like Charleston was fighting uphill and it always felt like Charleston, if they were going to win, it was going to be more of a steal for Charleston. All that said, Charleston finds themselves, you know, with a lead with less than five minutes to go. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but were you impressed by Western Carolina? I mean, do you think Charleston is Charleston's issues right now are, are offensive, defensive, both, or, or what? I mean, most likely if Brevin's playing this game, I think we win. And most likely if the NCAA doesn't come out on a rule and let Corey Hyde <laughs> I know where you're going with this eligible, then I think we probably win. That guy was, you know, he was automatic from the free throw line. I mean, none of those even touched the rim. They went straight net and he was instrumental for them. You could tell that he came in and he was immediately, you know, he had good chemistry with the rest of their guys and kind of took over as a leader. And and I think the young Prosser coach used him um, a lot towards the end. I mean, I think the Southern Conference is unfortunately better than the CAA right now. And, I, and yeah, we talked probably, about that last week. You know, be in the upper echelon of the Southern Conference this year, but this is a team that we historically would be at home. We're just not good. So regarding Charleston's offense, actually real quick, let's talk, let's talk crunch time first, because I mentioned that Charleston had the lead. So I, I jotted down what happened after we hit those back-to-back threes. Uh, so Charleston hits those back-to-back threes to go up 60 to 56 with four and a half minutes to play. Here's the next couple possessions. <laughs> I, I see you smirking already. Western Carolina scores in the paint, makes it 60 to 58. Peyton Willis gets fouled, but misses the front end of a one and one. King gets beat on defense, gives up an easy offensive board that ties the game. Uh, Then on the other side, Dante King misses a layup. Frustration fouls Western Carolina. They make both their free throws to go up 62-60. Then Tucker misses a three. Charleston gets the offensive rebound, shot clock violation. Then Western Carolina's inbounding the ball. Tucker fouls the inbounder. Western Carolina sinks two more free throws. So all in all, an 8-0 run by Western Carolina to go up 64-60. Still went to overtime, but that is just, um, you know, I feel like a lot of fans want to play the young guys. Part This is the downside to playing the young guys, is you get these crunch time liabilities, I guess. You know, guys who, who haven't been in these spots. And it's almost like, it's like, play the young guys, play the young guys. No, not like that. I don't like that. I, we need Joe Chile to come in here to, to close this out. But um, that's kind of the reality of, of where this team is. Right. Right. And you and we don't we don't really have that. I mean, on one hand, like I thought Peyton Willis made a really great veteran, a little veteran move there where he kind of forced to get forced the bump and um, 
and got onto the free throw line, but then subsequently missed it. And I have an, I have another little theory that I don't know as anyone has ever proven, but you know, refs have tendencies. And it was clear that the ref that was on the left side of the, the picture was more apt to call fouls while the ref on the right side of the picture generally swallowed those whistle whistles. So in the first half, I love these types of conspiracies. It's not a conspiracy. They're just more likely to call foul. They're just they were just calling stuff. And uh, the first half, we ran out to this big foul disparity, and then the sides yeah. flipped, and every foul was getting called on us. And there was a couple fouls that were just the Dante Avius King one, where it was clear he got pushed like two feet forward in the back. Even you, Earl, who's pretty mild mannered, got really upset about that. And you know, on that last layup where he missed. I mean, he went through a lot of traffic for, you know, situations where I felt on the other side, a lot of stuff was getting called. So we just, it was kind of unfortunate that, that that's the way it ended up. But, um, and then, you know, for a guy like Peyton, you know, Peyton Willis, but I guess, you know, if he never takes foul shots earlier in his career, then, you know, he's not, he's not going to necessarily have a lot of experience taking foul shots on crunch time. But if you're going to have a fifth year senior, a fourth year senior coming in who's played uh, power five conference ball, you want him in a crunch time to hit the front end of a one and one. It was brutal. He did hit the most clutch shot though. He did. No, he, he did. He he go uh, Western misses one of two free throws. I I don't know if he got the rebound or someone else did, but Peyton goes full court and, and sinks that three with two seconds to go to force overtime. But again, Charleston's lack of offense kind of shoots them in the foot. They get outscored nine to three in the overtime period, and that's all she wrote. And you you mentioned already that King fouled out early in, in overtime. I think Grant pulled him off the bench in overtime. I think Tucker and Edwards maybe started the OT period, but uh, once King went out with him, went the easy buckets and uh, Charleston just couldn't score. Well, we, we played a really, um, you know, Everett and Dane Johnson were talking on the broadcast, how oh, we should press Western because they have a really short bench and maybe uh, that's going to have, uh, you know, give us positive, uh, you know, turnovers and things at late in the game. Well, they're, they're four and zero in overtime, as they said, yeah. Meanwhile, we ran actually a pretty short bench ourselves. You know, we really only had Brendan Tucker and Lorenzo Edwards having any significant minutes. So, uh, by the end of the game, I imagine our players were equally tired. And I wonder if that, you know, we front ended a couple of jump shots in overtime. And I wonder if we just felt it in our legs that we hadn't played an overtime game yet. This team loves taking jumpers love to take not the best shots and I don't know if that's coaching if that's personnel if that's what do you do you have a theory on on why the offense is the way it is yeah we've we've talked about it kind of in our fan you know the message board uh I mean my personal theory is that Earl as a recruiting tool wants to bring in guys that that are kind of alpha scores and lets and defers to them saying, you know, I'm going to let you run the offense while I'm going to coach up the defense and make us a defensively sound team while the offense has always been let the stars eat and get their points. Well, the problem is now we don't have any stars. They're all gone. You know, Brevin was the last one. He got hurt. So we don't really have a system offensively to fall back on, and the coaching staff probably focuses on all their time on implementing defensive sets and then trying to counter what the op- opposition does. So 
I don't think we have a system to fall back on. So that's why our offense can sometimes be simplistic. And you have a couple guys now running the show that aren't used to being alphas. So it's going to take some time. What, what we'll probably see is more and more of our offense is going to revolve around Dontavious King, maybe with maybe Brendan Tucker also um, doing it because those kids, I think in high school used to being the guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talent wise, those two were, we're getting some high major offers coming out of high school and yeah, the talent, the raw talent is there. Um, but Charleston's offense, um, not to beat a dead horse, but two fast break points in this game. They don't get anything in transition. Really? I think, oh, I think the two points were, they must've been Kings dunk. That's the only fast break play I can remember still having issues with the turnovers. They had 15 in this game and just like I mentioned, bad shots, not great shooters from the free throw line not a great three-point shooting team, and you take out Brevin Galloway. So you're going to have to fall back on the defense, but the defense is still giving up, you know, 70-plus points in, in some of these home games. I mean, so if, if I could throw a stat at you, I mean, the place that we've really regressed is actually the defense. And I mean, we talk about the offense, but in terms of points per game, we're actually putting up just as many points per game as we have at the high point of our time, about 74 points per game. Mm-hmm. It's defense that's actually gotten a lot worse. Um, we used to never average, never under Earl Grant would, had we averaged above 70 points for our opponents, and we're averaging 73. That's what's killing us. We're just not playing good defense. I mean, if we're going to, like, fix the Cougs and the concept, you know, in, in the Earl Grant way, he's got to shore up the defense, which has been really bad. Everyone hits threes on us you know, pretty much everyone. I've noticed the threes guys slow to rotate and we've pointed that out before. Also guys get bumped off their spots so easily on this team. Like, you know, it's just like a shoulder to the chest and it seems like all of our guys go flying backward. That coupled with the fact that there's almost no rim protection. I mean, OC is a big body and he can stop guys who are trying to, to make moves on him, but he's not a shot blocker per se. And once guys get into the paint, it's it's almost a wrap. Uh, it happens way too easily. I mean, I will say OC's gotten a lot better. I mean, he's athletic. Oh, yeah. His offensive game has improved by leaps and bounds. I mean, you know, that play where he you know put it on the floor, took a dribble, and put, laid it in off a rebound. I mean, that was inconceivable in OC of pass. He still has a superpower of clanging dunks, but. Um, I mean, he's he's improved a lot. I mean, you got to be proud of what he's done. Although, yeah, he's not necessarily a rim protector. It's just, and then when he gets out, when you pull him out into mid court and he's hedging on a on a pick and roll, he gets a little too excited and has a tendency to foul people. And, but uh, I, I, w- I would say I wanted to put say OC was one of my positives of the game because I feel like he's actually growing. Yeah, OC. Um, yeah, he has come a long, long way from the raw prospect he was coming in. Uh, his rebounding has been great this season. He needs to get set up from guys a little bit more. And I know coach Grant leading into this game was talking about getting some paint touches and OC got a few King got the majority of those. So yeah, I don't, I don't think OC's the problem. It's um, kind of everything, how everything fits together on defense. That's leaving a lot to be desired. What, are, what, are, what else are we missing from this game? I mean, it's going to be ugly for a few weeks, you know, um, <laughs> And that's fine. You, you know what? What we're looking for here is going to be the final product. I mean, what what is a realistic goal for this Cougs? And and what I'm hoping is, you're not going to contend for a CAA championship with this team, particularly without Brevin. 
and uh, and what you're hoping for is a team that's going to finish the year better than they started. You know, the, the travel is going to be funky. You know, with those back-to-back games, you could see some weird stuff. But then again, on the other hand, you're not going to get much of a home field. You know, TD Arena is usually loud and crazy, and maybe influences the other team or influences the ref, and you're just not getting any of that home court advantage. It's maybe one of the other reasons why we're not, we're kind of struggling at home. That's yeah, it's definitely true. And Charleston might end up having the most home court advantage because I think they might be the only team in the CAA with fans. I mean, but they're definitely not enough to sway a a game. But yeah, let's let's look forward because uh, the topic of life without Brevin Galloway is, is something that a lot of Cougar fans are talking about. I know on the message board and and amongst our, our little community of fans. First of all, credit to you for spotting the ACL tear right away. I mentioned already that you're a doctor and you were pretty on that uh, just from the broadcast. Uh, what did you see that made you feel uh, kind of the pit in your stomach that he was going to miss time? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was his knee early on. He had, he didn't get a great angle, but you saw him cutting in on to the paint and then you saw his knee buckle a little bit and then he immediately sprung off that knee and didn't want to put weight on it. Uh, you know, that you could tell immediately that it was a knee and there's only so many things that can happen in a knee. You can, you know, you can tear cartilage, which is meniscus tear. You can tear a ligament and there's several ligaments in the knee. You, the ACL, uh, which, uh, kind of prevents, you know, deceleration in the body quickly, uh, is tends to be the most commonly injured one in athletes and cutting sports. So, you know, I, I was, I was, and I, I will admit I am a ACL tear, uh, survivor myself <laughs> I've had several of those so I, I know how it feels I feel for Brev um, I hope he comes back stronger and you know obviously surgical techniques are really good these days so uh, you know there's no reason to believe that he can't come back and be every bit as good as he was when he went out that said if you think about the timeline of these things uh, I don't know I have, I have no connection to Brev so I don't know if he's had surgery or not you know you're you're talking about at least six months after surgery. So he is going to be, you know, back in the gym next summer and yeah. what that means as far as what he wants to do with collegiate basketball or professional basketball is, is obviously tough because it puts him in a, in a really bad spot about, you know, transferring or graduating or whatnot. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens there, especially with the eligibility rules that the NCAAs instituted this season where guys, you know, this season is kind of a wash and guys can have the option to come back. We'll, we'll see if, Rev comes back for a sixth season, but he's uh, he's pulling a Van Wilder uh, at this point. Yeah. We've talked about this. Are there similarities between this season and that 2015 season where Coach Grant lost Joe Cheely and Grant Riller in the preseason, and then he lost Canyon Barry a couple months in, I think right before conference play, and it forced these young guys to play, and it forced guys like Jarrell and Marquise Pointer and Nick Harris to learn on the fly and get thrown into the fire and – it was rough at the time, but ultimately that core was the the group that won a CAA championship. Is there a similarity? I mean, Brevin is not, I mean, we're only talking about one injury here with Brevin and the offense didn't totally rotate around him, but he was a big part of it. And do you think we should be playing young guys? Do you think there's something to to grow and to learn from this season that the young guys could benefit from? Yeah, I, I think um, there are similarities. Now, obviously, there's a pessimist read on that. In that team, you had Jarrell Brantley, who's on a two-way contract in the NBA. You have 
you had, you know, you didn't have really Grant Riller, but uh, who was on, who's on a two-year, two-way contract good. And you had uh, Canyon Berry, who was spending time in the G League at least last year. So these are all guys that had showed themselves to be very effective. But, uh, and we don't know if we have those type of guys here now. But uh, I think for guys like Cam Johnson, Gerald Brantley, Marquise Pointer, guys that were key contributors down the road, getting significant minutes as freshmen were was instrumental uh, yeah. to getting them better. And, and that's why I was so confused, at least, why we were bringing in these transfers uh, before the season started. You know, I was thinking to myself, you know, just, you know, what do you, if it's the perfect year to take a wash since, you know, COVID and all that, why not just let all your young guys play, take your lumps, and, and then um, have everyone be really ready to go in the next couple of years, especially with some promising recruits coming in. But, uh, you know, obviously they did it the way they did it. And then life has its own way of forcing your hands. So you're, you're going to get young guys playing no matter what. And I think coach has already started to, you know, make those changes. You know, you're, you're seeing a, a Lorenzo Edwards go from starting game one yeah. to showing less and less minutes. He only had 16 minutes at, on Friday. And Dontavis King is now a starter. You're seeing, uh, you know, Tucker – who's getting the last 10 or 15 minutes plus all of overtime. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be a cornerstone moving forward. And I know, I know people are really uh, critical of apps and his shooting and he's had a lot of struggles, but this was a kid that was, you know, in terms of metrics was our best player last year, as far as the underclassmen, he was functional. And I think, and he seems popular and he's well-liked and, you know, he missed those two threes in, in overtime, but those were, threes in the flow of play, you know, Tucker drove and dished and that was a proper three, you know, in and out basketball, boom, boom. He just missed it. He's just in a slump. So, I mean, you've got to, he, you've got to give that kid time to work out of his slump and he'll start dropping threes again. Cause that's not 10%, which would he under 10% three point shooting is not what he has ever been in his career. So he just has to get his head right and start hitting them and get some confidence again. Do you make anything of the other freshmen not playing in this game besides King? I I mean, the only read I can make, Tommy, is that I think Earl really wanted to win this game, so he tightened. It was up. there. He would he tightened up the rotation just to try to gut out a win, and I understand that. I, I know people are high on Harvey. He's really unpolished, and I mean, obviously, we want him to get as much time as possible, but I imagine that he really needs a year in the you know coll- collegiate level weight room to be able to to probably be the guy that we hope he could be. Plus he has OC in front of him, which is, is, is going to be hard to dislodge because OC at the end of the day is pretty effective, but I would like to see a little bit more Carvey. Um, and then, you know, the head scratcher is Cam Copeland. He's a kid who's gotten two years under his belt and uh, is effectively a junior. Uh, mm-hmm. So you got to wonder, you know, and, and at least in limestone against limestone, granted that was very low competition he seemed like he had an offensive game. He's 6'5", so he's got some length. He's got a nice stroke. I mean, you and I saw uh, there was a particular play. He only played two minutes, and there was a play where somebody got beaten down the dribble, on the off the dribble. You know, Tucker kind of rotated off his man to trap, to double-team the drive, and then uh, Cam Copeland was stuck in a bit of no-man's land on the paint, leaving their best three-point shooter, Halverson, on the corner for an open three, which he drained. We never saw Copeland again for the rest right, of that game. Right. So I don't know. 
I mean, you and I were speculating, you know, who's who made the mistake there? Was it Tucker who kind of rotated off Halverson to help, or was it Copeland who didn't rotate? And I mean, I'm, I can only assume it was Copeland because we never saw him again. But uh, I wonder if, if those type of defensive uh, deficiencies are what are keeping him right. off the court. Yeah. Yeah, you, you might be right. I didn't realize he only played that many, that few minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, here's my take. I think Coach Grant's going to play the guys who are going to help him win games. This isn't the NBA where tanking is going to help you any more than just getting the young guys some reps, but you're going to lose games. And who knows if Coach Grant has the job security to, to just start losing games and play the young guys and then get fired. And then the young guys all transfer, like who knows? So I I think, I think coach Grant's just going to do what he can do to win games. He knows who's going to help him win games. He's in practice every day. It's not like he's anti young guy. I mean, King is playing and Tucker and Epps are playing. So if Keegan Harvey could help us win or Davian Houston could help us win, I'm sure he'd be playing them. But yeah, I think I agree with you though. I think this game was there for the taking. So he kind of shortened the rotation. He wasn't concerned about, the extra five or 10 minutes those young guys are going to get and, and possibly suffer the loss. So um, yeah, it's, it's just like a tricky, tricky situation. Cause I know fans want the young guys to play because this season is, is going downhill, but those guys are still going to have to develop uh, in the practice gym, I guess. You're right. We got to win. You know, he's going to, he needs wins. You know, we're, we're here amateurs, you know, uh, making comments, but it's a living for Coach Grant and his assistants and things like that. So they need to win games to be able to uh, keep their job security. So that, that's natural. What would you want to see the rest of the season? Or I guess, I mean, we're, we're about to turn the page into conference play. Uh, what do you want to see? Do you want to see more minutes for young guys? Do you want to see consistency from guys who are already in the rotation? Bounce back from Epps? What, what's the top of your list? I'd like to see us get to be a better defensive team. Yeah. Um, that I suspect is the, you know, the coaching staff strength to play solid man-to-man defense. If you need to do other, some other things and switch it up from time to time, which, but we need to start having the, the opponents not score so much. I mean, that goes without saying, but I think improving the defense is the way, uh, the easiest way for this team to get better and to start winning games again. And uh, 74 points a game by our opponents is not going to cut it. Like you said, uh, that's interesting that Charleston's still scoring the same that they averaged in, in years past. So yeah, you would think that just shoring up the defense would would really help things. And the competition is what it is. Furman, Marshall, and UNC are all really solid teams. But um, yeah, I think I think defense is going to have to be the route this team takes in conference play and I guess if I had to pick an individual player I you know a little bit more growth from Epps and Tucker would be nice and uh I'm sure you're in the same boat but I'm all in on the Dontavis King rookie of the year bandwagon so I mean if if you want to highlight a player then then the player I highlight is Tucker he has the ceiling you know he I mean no one has his quickness no one has his ability to get into the paint and make a basket. He just needs to grow and make good decisions and mature. Uh, but he he is going to be handed an opportunity that he would not have been handed before, which is you're going to get significant minutes, probably will will be in the top five in minutes played now yeah. on the team. And uh, we just need you to step up and grow. And if, if he does that, then next year becomes pretty promising. You get great yep. – 
guards coming in, you know, we've already got a core that can compete. So the things can turn around in a hurry next year if, if Tucker makes the leap forward. I feel like we should leave on an optimistic note like that. <laughs> let's uh let's let's wrap it up here. But uh Martin, anything else on, on the team or anything else cougar related you want to discuss? I will say one thing that's not cougar related. I, I don't know how far your uh podcast reaches Tommy, but for the thousands hopefully that listen. Get your vaccine for coronavirus, please, please. Vaccines are important and they're life-saving. So that is I, a nice, nice PSA. Vaccine. Yeah. Well, you are doing great work. You and the other doctors out there. Uh, we are all very appreciative. And yeah, I plan to get my vaccine as soon as I can. Everyone else should as well. Doc, it was good having you on here. And we'll uh we'll talk again soon. Take care, Tom. Bye-bye.